This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. We're in a series right now on these Sunday nights looking at what God was doing in the early church. I believe that what we see in the book of Acts is really what God has intended through the church age, though there is the cessation of the sign gifts. And there are exceptions to how God works uh, where early on we see some exceptional things happening. Those are things that we don't see necessarily on a regular basis in the church today, but in our text tonight, we're going to see that this is what God can do if he chooses to, and it has nothing to do with sign gifts. What the Lord is trying to emphasize to us is the importance of his church always being spirit-controlled. And when the Holy Spirit is in control of every believer there is gospel power that has global impact. What is happening in these early chapters in the book of Acts is the Lord preparing the church in Jerusalem so that when they are sent out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, that the church is prepared. Now when we get to this fifth chapter, there is great contrast between the unity that was the result of the Spirit's control in lives, that's Acts 4, and then the events that begin Acts chapter 5. If unity is proof of the Spirit's control in the membership of a church, and certainly it is the proof, I believe that that is uh, being seen here at Good News. Is it 100%? God wants it to be. Is it 100% with you, with me, that we are completely yielded to the Spirit of God? It's what should be the case. But if unity is the proof of the Spirit's control, listen carefully, hypocrisy is the greatest proof that not the Spirit is in control, but that the enemy is. Hypocrisy is not failing to reach our goals as a child of God. We can feel like hypocrites. We know what God says in his word, and the Holy Spirit prompts us, and and we all know that, that we need to yield to the Spirit of God so that we can measure up. No one here tonight would raise their hand and say, well, I measure up. And it's very easy when we struggle with this flesh to feel like a hypocrite. I claim to be a Christian. Why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? But understand that not measuring up, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we don't measure up, but we pretend that we are. That is hypocrisy. To to will to do better for our Lord is normal and right. 
To fail is normal. However, pretending that we have reached those goals, deliberately deceiving others about where we are spiritually, deeply offends the Lord. God wants us to be real. Just be real. If you fail, be real. Admit it. Make it right with the Lord. Make it right with others. I appreciate Christians that in a conversation just I struggle. Uh, here's what God's teaching me. I want to be better. Uh, you get the sense as you read Paul's writings, Paul was real. A wretched man that I am. Uh, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Uh, the things I don't want to do, I do. Uh, he was real. He was open about those things. And yet at the same time, he expresses what God was enabling him to do through the Lord's power. Although God was doing a great work by his spirit in the early church, Satan got his foot in the door, and Scripture shows us what that looked like in the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. Now tonight I believe that God would have us see from this text that putting on a front to conceal our sin is so serious to the Lord, so hurtful to the church, that the Lord is willing to make an example of a married couple. He is willing to take these deceivers, though they were believers. I believe we're going to meet Ananias and Sapphira in heaven. But he's willing to take the life of these deceivers so that the early church sees his disdain for hypocrisy and not being real. So I've entitled the message, The Greatest Threat to the Church's Power. And you know what it is? It's just, it's dishonesty. It's not being real. It's not being open about what we really are before God. And so what I see in the text tonight is this example. It's a married couple. It's an example that God wants to teach us by. And if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, But a certain man named Ananias, Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now as I studied this text, I had to wonder, when were these two saved? When did they come to Christ? Were they in the upper room at Pentecost? Were they saved after Peter preached at Pentecost? At what point did they come into the household of faith? When were they saved? It's interesting the meaning of their names. Ananias means God is gracious. Sapphira, you know what her name means? And I don't hear too many believers naming their daughters Sapphira. But the word itself, the name actually means beautiful. And so if we just stop the reading in verse 1, here's a couple. They know the Lord. Their names remind us of beauty and that God is gracious. And whatever's going to happen in the rest of this text, God is still gracious. Amen? He is gracious. He loves lost souls. He died. He sent his son to die to save lost souls. 
These two are in the church. They get to see and experience and know the unity when believers are yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. And so they sold a possession, verse 2, and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it, the word there means not only did she know, but there was agreement about this. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And this is where the problem is. Laying this sum at the apostles' feet takes us back to chapter 4. And would you notice verse 37? We're told about Barnabas, verse 36, who owned land, sold it, took the entire amount. And verse 37 of chapter 4, having land, sold it and brought the money, all of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when we get to chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they're doing the same thing but not exactly. They sold it, but instead of bringing all of it, they just brought some of it. The question at this point in this example is, why did they do this? Well, the Holy Spirit uses the same language of them and Barnabas because evidently they saw how it impacted others how others thought when they watched Barnabas bring this sum and put it at the feet of the apostles. In the last message, when we came to the end of chapter 4, we thought, this is amazing. Spirit-filled people, unity in the church, and as a result of that unity, everyone's needs are being met. And, and up to this point, everything's great. It's wonderful. Look what God is doing. But this is where the problem comes in the text because they laid it at the apostles' feet. Watch this. And everyone thought, look what God is doing. But is it in fact what God was doing? It wasn't. We're going to see an expression later then in the text that reveals what God thought about their deceit, lying, because this wasn't what God was doing at all. As you look at verse 3 in this example, we're reminded of this. Not only does God know everything, but God is able to reveal to his servants that he knows everything. Exactly how Peter found out that this was a lie, we're not told. That's not the point. The point for the church is this. Don't deceive the Lord because be sure your sin will what? It's going to find you out. It's going to find you out. You can be King David in the Old Testament and spend a whole year pretending like everything is okay but when God decides to pull the lid off of it, there's no place to hide. And so you'll remember Nathan walked into King David. Nathan had a story, the prophet Nathan. Had a story, shares the story. David is irate that, that a man would take his neighbor's lamb, kill it, and feed it to a guest that came to visit his house. 
And then David discovers Nathan knows everything. Who told him? God told him. We can't lie to the Spirit of God who knows everything. Now I'll admit to you tonight that this text has puzzled me. How do you lie to the Holy Spirit? You ever thought that? How, how do you do that? Even though he's all-knowing, our flesh can deceive us into lying to him. I look back at my years growing up, how many things that I tried to deceive my parents about. And they knew the truth all along. And they'd look at me, and they'd listen, and might even do this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when I was done, they would tell me what they knew. They knew it all. How did they know? Well, we might be able to deceive our parents, but you know what? You'll never deceive your Father in heaven. You will never deceive. I will never deceive the Spirit of God. So in this example, Peter says, verse 3, Ananias, why hath Satan... Fill thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. So in this example, we're now introduced to something that we need to be reminded of as the church of Jesus Christ. Even though the Holy Spirit of God is in control and is working, does that ever mean Satan is not working? Yes or no? No, no. This is spiritual warfare. Paul will write to the Ephesians and remind them, put on the whole armor of God. And he'll remind them to be spirit controlled, but he'll remind them we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy is still out there. The enemy is still seeking whom he may devour. And remember that as spirit-filled Christians, we are protected. If we submit ourselves therefore to God and resist the devil, he will flee. But we must continue to submit because he is always a threat, the enemy, Satan. He's always a threat. Anytime that we lower our guard, thinking, well, maybe there is no danger here, that's when we're most susceptible, right? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest what? Lest he fall. Satan has been able to watch humankind for at least 6,000 years. And by the way, he's pretty smart. I hate to admit it. But he's pretty smart. Uh, you're not the first one of you he's seen. And just like Satan was able to influence Satan, remember the day that Jesus is told by Peter, Peter says to the Lord, you're not going to go up to Jerusalem, you're not going to die, and the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. Who, who was putting that in Peter's head? The enemy. He can, he can fly by and drop thoughts. I don't know exactly how he does it, but he does it. Remember at the Last Supper, the Lord's uh, table, that last uh, time, remember, as they're sitting around there together, 
observing the Passover, the Lord turns to Judas and he says, Satan put it in your mind to do this. And so Peter asks Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Not only did Peter know what had happened, <coughs> excuse me, Peter understood what was behind their decision. And so we see the example, we see the enemy here. But what does it mean to lie to the Holy, Holy Ghost? The one who produces the good works in us is offended when we pretend what he hasn't done. Remember that only the Holy Spirit can produce in you that which is good. Even our righteousness is our filthy rags. If the Holy Spirit isn't doing it in us, it isn't profitable. But when we pretend that he is, when we pretend that we're right, when we pretend that we're fruitful, Excuse me, most often our pretending is claims that we make, just like here, claims that we make that are not true. Here, here, here are a few examples. I'm praying for you. Are you? Are you? Or we give descriptives of our walk with the Lord, our time in his word, and so on. It's not that what we say is a lie, it's what we intend people to hear. Isn't it amazing that we can deceive that way? We can, we can say things in a certain way. We can color what we say because we want people to think of us, and it may not be true. Only the Holy Spirit can produce good fruit in us that counts to the glory of God and he, the Lord is offended when we pretend that we're doing something that he hasn't done in us. This is also trying to deceive God as though he couldn't detect what was done or see the motives of our hearts. And he's offended. Hypocrisy, when we pretend to be something that we are not, God says, not only are you lying to others when you do that, you're lying to me. Again, we understand how foolish that is since he, he's known it all, he sees it all. It's lying to the Lord. There's also a partner's sin that goes along with this or a companion sin is a better word to say that. When we lie to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read in the scripture where the Bible talks about tempting the Lord? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Or when we read about Israel in the Old Testament, how many times they tempted the Lord. Uh, do you know what they were doing? God said, if you do this behavior, I'll respond with this chastening. If you do this, this will result. God says uh, certain actions will produce blessing. He also says certain actions will require his chastening. God can't let sin go. He's not going to let us do what we want as we offend him. Tempting God 
is doing something, knowing what he said he would have to do to chasten that, and we do it anyway, wondering, is he going to be merciful, or am I going to catch it? Sometimes, I believe even as we do that behavior, sometimes this mental process is, in fact, the Holy Spirit saying to us, don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Is God merciful? Sure he is. Is he long-suffering? Yeah, yeah. But don't think that when we sin and he is merciful that God doesn't care or that God doesn't always keep his word. Does God always keep his word? Absolutely. And so tempting the Lord is doing something, just seeing if in fact he'll respond the way he said he'd respond. Lying to the Holy Spirit, tempting God. And so they kept back part of the price of the land. Now what's interesting is here we see our God who is reasonable, He's given us a stewardship uh, to handle properly the things that he gives to us. And so in verse 4, Peter says to Ananias, While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You can do with these things as you see, uh, see best. But why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men. Now, obviously they were, but that's not the point. That's the emphasis here. It was, was, the point is not what men think. It's what God thinks. You have lied unto God. Verse 5, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He didn't pass out, folks. He died. God struck him down. Now, we're not told who all was present at this situation. We have to believe that this was the assembly together. They were together. People's needs were being met. Uh, you see them together all the way through these texts. Uh, obviously, folks knew what Barnabas had done with what he had sold and so they're all still gathered together. Uh, I have to wonder if Barnabas had, did not witness what, what, what was happening here. Certainly there were young men who were standing around because they end up with the task of picking up this guy, taking him out, and burying him. And what was the result? Well, the verse tells us great fear came upon all them that heard these things. So there were some present, they saw it, and then the word spread. Did you hear what happened? Did God want the word to spread? Absolutely. This was an example to be made for the whole church. Now we need to pause and remember that this was special judgment for a new era as God did in other new eras throughout the Scripture. Uh, there are exceptional things that God did to teach Israel and then later to teach the church that he's God and this is what he thinks about things. For example, do you remember Israel as they were coming out of Egypt? 
Aren't you glad that every time someone, uh, aren't you glad that when someone is rebellious, God doesn't just open the ground and they, they're swallowed up? Amen? Okay. All right. Uh, I'm thankful for that. Uh, it would decrease the surplus population. That's for sure. All right. But in the wilderness, when Moses' authority was challenged, which was really challenging the authority of God, what did God do? Ground opened up, swallowed people up. Or how about when they murmured and they complained and God just sent thousands and thousands of serpents into the camp? I don't like finding one snake. Can you imagine not being able to get away from the snakes? That's what it was. Now, did, that, did God do that every time somebody complained? Thank God, no. But there were times where <clears throat> God did exceptional things to prove a point. Again, at the chaplain retreat, we heard another wonderful message when God told Moses to speak to the rock, and by this point Moses had had enough, and he says to the children of Israel, he says, you rebels, do we need to bring water out of the rock? Well, Moses, time out. You've never brought water out of a rock. But he is so consumed with himself and angry towards the people, he takes the rod and he strikes the rock. What was the problem? He ruined the picture because Moses again had an opportunity to bring a high opinion of God before the children of Israel. Did they deserve water? No. That wasn't the point. The point is Moses, as the leader, had an opportunity to show the greatness of God. The picture was ruined when he struck the rock. But did God make an example of Moses? After all those years leading the children of Israel, what was the punishment for Moses not obeying God at this point? No promised land. Now, he got to see the promised land, and God, I believe, showed him every corner of it. And he got to go to heaven early. What a blessing. But God was making an example of Moses. And as the children of Israel cross over into the promised land, they didn't forget what God had done. And so this is one of those times also, I believe, where God shows the early church, if you lie to the Holy Spirit, this is what I can do. Don't deceive. Don't be hypocritical. Of all the passages in Scripture that teach us about hypocrisy, we dare not forget this one because this is what God is willing to do at times. This is what he's capable of doing if we're not real and we lie to others and we lie to the Lord about perceived spirituality. And so verse 6 says, the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now in this narrative, there are some curiosities. I know in the Middle East they bury people quickly, but this was a quick one. In fact, 
The wife doesn't even know. Now put yourself in the text, okay? Well, husband dies. Where's my husband? We buried him. Three hours later, look, and it was about the space of three hours after while his wife, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. The lesson here is repeated for us and for the early church. What's the lesson? You can't lie to the Holy Spirit. He's going to expose it. He can tell anyone that he wants. Peter knows. Ananias is gone, Peter said unto her. Again, knowing that she was complicit in this. Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much, for this amount. And she said, yea, for so much. Is God fair? Sure he is. Did he give her an opportunity to rethink this, to do something different? Sure he did. But she didn't. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? You remember I said earlier, tempting the Lord is a companion sin? Well, that's a little bit of a stretch, Pastor. No, it's right here. It's right here. You've tempted the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Let me just pause for a moment. I don't mean to be silly with this. I'm so thankful that when we have a funeral, it's people that have died that we're bringing back in here to, to remember their lives, to celebrate what God did in their lives. I'm so thankful that we have not had, and I don't want everyone to see this in my ministry where we all come to church and then we have to bury somebody. But it happened in the early church. Now why? Why did the Lord allow something this dramatic to take place? Well, it's reaffirmed again if you look at verse 11. And, here's the reason, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many has heard these things. Now there's a contrast here. If we're going to have the power of the Spirit of God on our lives, it ought to be evident in the church by our unity, by our giving, by our cooperation together to get God's work done. By the way, that's what missions conference is about. This church uniting together to once again trust God to lead us about our giving and our involvement in missions. The Holy Spirit of God does that. But he does that so that those who are outside the church can also see, witness, and know the power of our God. His power to deliver from sin and his power to deal with sin. And that's what verse 11 is showing us. Fear came upon all the church and contrast upon as many outside the church 
has heard these things. Probably Ananias and Sapphira had family. They probably had neighbors. Where Ananias and Sapphira? They're dead. What happened? Oh, well, what, what we hear is they, they lied to God. They what? Yeah, they lied to God. And what happened? He killed them. Pastor Coles, I'm thankful that when believers lie to God today, he doesn't just keep killing Christians. There would be fewer of us. Let me close by just mentioning this. Oliver Wendell Holmes made this statement one time. He said, Satan has many tools in his toolbox. But he uses the handle of a lie that fits them all. Whatever Satan is able to influence us to do, first of all, it's attached to a lie. Either we're lying to ourselves, I'll be the exception, I can sin, I can do whatever I want, I'll pretend to be otherwise, it's not going to hurt me, there won't be negative consequences from that. Do you know what that's all, all, all of that is? It's a lie. That's why, again, when God dealt with David about his sin, Psalm 50, David said to God, you require truth on the inward parts. David's acknowledging, I got into trouble because I believed a lie. I lied to myself. I thought I'd be the exception. I'll be able to get away with that. But what we realize from this text is that when I lie, when I believe that lie, and for an entire year David lived a lie, what was he really doing? He was lying to the Holy Spirit. In David's case, you'll read that David cried out to God, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And God was gracious and didn't. I'm so thankful in this church age when I get saved and the Holy Spirit moves in, the Holy Spirit of God will never leave me. But we have to remember, folks, he's not only there to be my comfort and to empower me to do the work of God, to, to comfort, to convict, to guide. He is a wonderful, wonderful, the perfect companion. But we're also told we can grieve him. We need to realize tonight that just as he's there to assist us, while he's there, we can grieve him. In fact, the Bible tells us we can quench him. There may be a young person here tonight. You claim to be saved. An adult, you claim to be saved. The Holy Spirit of God, your gracious companion, who is there to help make you into the image of Christ, to bring you peace, to help you in all those situations that you're going to face. You can be living a life where you're lying to the Spirit of God, quenching him, grieving him. And this text reminds us God doesn't have to take it. You belong to him. 
You're bought with a price. And he has a wonderful plan for your life, but he doesn't have to continue your life if you're going to offend him with it. And so may God help us to be true here. To be honest before God. Let's not tempt the Lord. Why, why would we do that? But let's be humble before him. A broken and a contrite spirit he will not despise. You'll never hear when you come to the Lord, it's you again? You messed up again? That's not God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In fact, he says, if you say you, know, you have no sin, you lie and do not the truth. We all sin. But the Holy Spirit of God is there to remind us, convict us, and then when we make right with him to forgive, remove the guilt, and restore peace. That's God. That's the ministry of his spirit. But don't lie to him. It's foolishness. But we still do it. Don't lie to him. Be real before him. And let him control you so that he can work through you of his good pleasure. It's the best thing for you. Let's let have him have his way. And let's be honest with God. And let's be honest before others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this sobering reminder this evening. I do believe that we'll be able to meet Ananias and Sapphira in heaven. We'll know who they are. Lord, thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And for every Christian, we will be with you when this body dies. But Lord, what a sobering reminder of our need to be honest. Lord, the world likes to give the church a hard time about being hypocrites, and there's a reason that they point that finger. Not that they're innocent. But Lord, there are a lot of Christians who claim one thing and live another. Help us not to grieve you, Holy Spirit, by living that kind of a life. Now, Father, as, as the service closes, as we have this opportunity to respond to you about whatever it is you've spoken to our hearts about, Lord, would you help us to be real? Every one of us, the true soul searching, true repentance would happen in our midst here. And that, Lord, that would be our practice as we yield to the Spirit of God. Have your way now in these final moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.